Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation from my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, Georgia, where I actually am sitting. I have a charity event I do every year to raise money for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, where I auction off the right to drink from my bourbon collection. I have a very large, very large bourbon collection. Uh, and so it's larger than anything I could drink. So I round up select bottles and bring them up to Atlanta and allow people to drink from them. So I can tell you there's a what they're getting tonight is uh, Blanton's Jefferson Reserve, Jefferson's Ocean, uh, Four Roses Single Barrels, Four Roses Small Batch, uh, and there's a Buffalo Trace in there. And I think there's one. There might be a Weller. Um, that that's that's what we got uh, for for the people who coughed up money to fight childhood cancer. Now, I have to tell you, I got to spend some time here, and I want you to know the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, is going to join me in the third hour of the program because I can't remember the last time a state level candidate got the national press coverage that Stacey Abrams got yesterday announcing she's going to run for governor in 2022. I got push alerts from the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN that Stacey Abrams is going to run for governor of Georgia. And I'm sure there are people in, I don't Idaho who are like, why the hell do I care that Stacey Abrams is running for governor? Because the news media wants you to care. Say it with me, people. You will be made to care. They, they've got to have a celebrity in 2022, and Stacey Abrams is their celebrity. So that's what they will do. Now, for those of you nationally who are not like me in Georgia, let me set the stage of this for you because I find this to be the most interesting thing. And it is the thing most of the national press can't grasp because they're not in the state. Atlanta, Georgia, has been having a major mayoral election. Keisha Crimeway Bottoms is did not seek re-election. She really couldn't. Her political standing cratered because after the George Floyd riots, crime took off in Atlanta. Uh, there are, when you drive into the city, or there were, I haven't seen them partly because it's cold, I guess, uh, water boys. And they stand on the street corners and try to sell you water bottles. And it's become a thing across the city, and it has caused shootings and, and the like, uh, carjackings and all. And instead of sending the police out to shut it down, she's tried to build a department within the city to help the boys and their entrepreneurialism. Never mind that there are not a bunch of high school boys going out buying bottles of water and Yeti coolers and randomly showing up. There's clearly an organized operation going on, but she seemed oblivious to it. And then the crime wave started, and she made the police the bad guys, and a lot of police quit as a result, causing even more crime in the city of Atlanta. It's been a big ordeal. The north part of Atlanta is called Buckhead, and now the residents of Buckhead want to secede from the city. 40% of the city's tax revenue comes from Buckhead. If Buckhead secedes... The city will be out 40% of the money that comes into it, a massive financial blow to the city and, frankly, to the capital of Georgia. 
But they want to leave for two reasons. Number one, the crime wave. The crime wave is a huge, big deal in Buckhead. There are random shootings. There are two very prestigious malls in Buckhead, one of which has an Apple store, and now they got metal detectors, and there are still shootings that happen. Uh, Linux Mall, which is the big mall in uh, Atlanta, it is the one that all the rich people go to. It's where you got the Gucci store and the Apple store and the Nordstrom's and the Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, you can't go there anymore because you're putting your life at risk by going into the parking lot, it seems. People don't want to go there. And that's having a negative impact on that part of the city where all the rich people live. The other issue is the mayor of Atlanta and the housing authority in Atlanta want to expand low-income housing in the city, including in the Buckhead area, and they're worried about devaluing property in Buckhead. And they're worried about uh, poor people coming in in Section 8 housing sparking crime waves. And the response is to call them racists for having that worry. So all of Buckhead votes for a lady named Felicia Moore. She is the president of the city council. And the rest of Atlanta, pretty much all of the rest of Atlanta, votes for Andre Dickens. Andre Dickens wins. Now, again, I realize this is very inside the baseball for all of you, but just you got to follow along with me here because this is notable. The race goes into a runoff. And the runoff is between the city council president and the city councilman. In the few days before the end of the runoff, Keisha Crime Wave Bottoms endorses Andre Dickens. And he wins, despite Buckhead voting the other way. Which means Republicans in the state legislature are, in fact, going to take the city and corporation efforts for Buckhead very seriously. You have a number of prominent, well-to-do Republicans who are pushing for it. So Andre Dickens, though he should not have to, is going to have to um, – he, he's going to have to build bridges with northern Atlanta. He's going to have to build bridges with Buckhead. He's going to have to show them that he is on their side on crime. He's going to have to reassure them. He doesn't think he should have to, I'm sure – because he just won, but he's going to have to build those bridges because he's got to save his city. Twelve hours after this man gets elected and starts having to consider all of these dynamics, here comes Stacey Abrams to announce she's going to be governor or wants to be governor. I, I guess you could call it a re-election since she's convinced that she became governor. Not only does Stacey Abrams announce she's going to run for governor in 2022, 12 hours after Andre Dickens has declared the mayor of Atlanta, while he's celebrating, while he's on his press tour, she throws him off the front page of the newspaper. She throws him off as the big story of the nightly news in Atlanta to do this. But the New York Times, CNN, the Washington Post, MSNBC, they all push out alerts. Stacey Abrams running for governor. Rejoice, progressives. Rejoice. It's like, I mean, I'm surprised they didn't start playing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and tie it to Stacey Abrams launching right before Christmas. 
So what's going on here? Well, there are a couple of things. First of all, Abrams' announcement stepping on the new mayor of Atlanta's victory celebration is a signal that she is the top dog in Georgia for the Democrats. You better not overshadow her, Andre Dickens, mayor of Atlanta. Keisha Lance Bottoms, you will recall, kind of overshadowed Stacey Abrams, including being vetted for a White House appointment, possibly to the cabinet or as an ambassador. And that didn't go over well. So having a new mayor in Atlanta does not go over well with Stacey Abrams to overshadow her. But the real issue for those of you in Idaho or in Wisconsin is that the media needs a Democratic hero for 2022. They need to have someone the Democrats can rally to because Joe Biden's not up for re-election and his polling sucks. They've tried it with Beto O'Rourke, and part of what's going on here, you do need to appreciate this, is part of the coverage now of Stacey Abrams is about white guilt. See, in, in 2018, Abrams and Andrew Gillum down in Florida, two black candidates running statewide for governor, actually did better and came closer to winning than Beto O'Rourke did against Ted Cruz. But the media was infatuated with Beto O'Rourke, in part because he had gotten to know the political press by being a congressman in Washington, in part because he loved to skateboard and drop the F-bomb, and the hipster kids in the media loved it and thought he was so cool, in part because he had, as the media described it, Kennedy-esque good looks. And they ignored Stacey Abrams, and they ignored Andrew Gillum. They gave them very little attention. Had they given them more attention, they could have sparked a fundraising way for Abrams that actually got her into a runoff. Now, again, if you listen to the media coverage of Stacey Abrams' race in 2018, you would think she came very close to becoming governor of Georgia. That's not it at all. Stacey Abrams came close to getting into a runoff, but she couldn't even do that. Brian Kemp won over 50% of the vote. So she ne- it wasn't that Stacey Abrams came close to winning the governor's race in Georgia. It's that Stacey Abrams came close to getting into a runoff to try to win the governor's race in Georgia. When she didn't, she claimed it had been stolen from her. There was voter suppression. There, there was all sorts of problems in the election. And it, so she refused to concede. And the media allowed Stacey Abrams for two years to peddle the mythology that she had actually won the race – Hillary Clinton still to this day says Stacey Abrams won the race, and yet they're upset with Donald Trump for saying the election was stolen in 2020. That, of course, fuels the antagonism of Trump supporters who have doubled down on stolen election and Trump's the lawful president, because why shouldn't they? The media let Stacey Abrams do this. Well, now the media has all sorts of white guilt because she and Andrew Gillum came very close. Andrew Gillum turned out to be a meth user and, and um, can't run for office again in Florida. Too scandalized. Beto O'Rourke is running for governor in Texas, but they've been there, done that with Beto. They don't really have any heroes in 2022. And the media loves to have a Democrat around whom they can rally the national base of Democratic activists to support. So it's going to be Stacey Abrams. There there aren't any other dynamic Democratic figures running for office thus far in 2022. Maybe some will get in, but the headwinds against the Democrats are so strong, and that's part of the problem for Abrams as well. The national headwinds against the Democratic Party are bad. People forget that in Georgia, 
there was a six-point swing back to the Republicans in the runoff for Loeffler and Purdue, even though they didn't win. They didn't win because of Republicans. But therein lies the rub. Republicans nationwide, listen to me right now. This is the most important thing you're going to hear. Stacey Abrams' team decided to run some candidates for office this year in Georgia. There were municipal races, mayoral races, city council seats. They're nonpartisan races, but everybody knows who the Democrat and the Republican are. And the Abrams team, the grassroots operation, was very vocal about who they wanted people to vote for. There were 14 major candidates. Do you know how many of them won? How many seats Stacey Abrams was able to flip in municipal races of these 14? 14. She batted 1,000. Batted 1,000. That's a pretty big signal that the ground game that Abrams wants to lay out there is good. Why is it good, though? Why? This is important. Why is the Abrams ground game good? Because Republicans still are not showing up in Georgia. That's the thing that's keeping the Republicans up at night. The psychological damage that Lynn Wood and President Trump, David Schaefer, the chairman of the GOP in Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene and others did by claiming that the election was stolen in November 2020 continues to reverberate in Georgia. Republicans are not showing up to vote. Abrams was able to flip those seats. So now we enter 2022, and Abrams thinks that she can uh, counter the headwinds against the Democratic Party, that when other Democrats nationwide can't win, she can. And why? One, her ground game. Two, her fundraising. But three, the Republicans won't show up. And she's hoping, hoping, hoping that a Republican backed by Donald Trump will jump into the race against Brian Kemp. The thing that will benefit Stacey Abrams the most, the thing that will help her more than anything else is Donald Trump. And he has said he would prefer Stacey Abrams as governor of Georgia to Brian Kemp. So he's got a lot of people he's been trying to push to run. David Perdue down in, in Sea Island, Georgia, uh, Vernon Jones, several others. He, he, Trump wants to beat Brian Kemp. And in Trump's own words, if that means Stacey Abrams is governor, so be it. He thinks she would be better than Brian Kemp. So Abrams is hoping, praying for a well-funded challenge with a Donald Trump blessing against Brian Kemp because that could push her over the edge as it fractures and breaks a Republican Party where its voters are still inclined to stay home and not vote. And we just saw that happen across the state of Georgia in 14 races that Abrams targeted and won all of them. Thus enters Stacey Abrams with a national press corps at her back pushing her forward against the headwinds, against the Biden unpopularity, against it all, knowing that she could win it all in Georgia, not because of all of her hard work, but because the Republicans are setting themselves up to have a fractured party with a defeatist attitude. You are more than welcome to call into the program today, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Should you be so inclined? I, I got to tell you, it, it is – I've been talking – in fact, yesterday I spent a little bit of time on the Democrats in 2024, their quest for someone other than Biden. 
and the elite are falling back on Beto O'Rourke. Uh, a listener, Andy, emailed and said, what about the intersectional issue? You didn't mention it. Yeah, I, I assume we all can understand one of the Democrats' problems is that at the elite levels, they're so into woke intersectionalism. They want to have the the gay white man, the, the uh, multiracial black female, all of that. And voters aren't necessarily looking for intersectionalism. They're looking for competence. Now, one of the big issues here is they don't have any rock stars right now. They tried to build up Beto O'Rourke. He crashed. Right now, Stacey Abrams is all they got. Just think about this. Think of all of the major people the media likes to promote as the, the greatest. Barack Obama kind of took all the energy out of the room for a while. Nobody could stand next to him. I guess you've got Michelle Obama, but she's not going to run for office. So who do you have on the Democratic side? They're trying to make Buttigieg a thing. They're trying to make Kamala a thing. Do you know any of the other members of the Biden administration? I mean, who are the big cabinet people? Buttigieg is kind of the guy that people know. There's not a there. There aren't big names out there on the Democratic side in, in the Senate. Who are there? Well, you got Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, but Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are too old. In the House, you've got Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. But she's too progressive. Ilhan Omar, too progressive. Who are the Democratic rock stars right now who really resonate within that party? For, forget the nation, just the Democratic Party. There really are not a lot who can transition into being a national stars with a base outside the hardcore progressives of the Democratic Party, which is why there's so much energy nationally to build up Stacey Abrams in Georgia, and you're going to hear so much about her regardless of where you live next year. You live in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Well, my goodness, you're going to hear a lot about Stacey Abrams next year because the media needs a star. They were kind of hoping Matthew McConaughey in Texas might get in even as a radical centrist but run as a Democrat. Surely he's a Democrat because he's a he's a Hollywood star. They, they could use him, except they're not going to be able to use him. They just don't have the bench, and they don't have the celebrity that they've had. They're, they're looking at Val Demings. Have you heard of Val Demings? Val Demings? She's running for the Senate in Florida against Marco Rubio. She was, what, the sheriff's, uh, the sheriff in Orlando or the police chief in Orlando? They're, they're trying to make her the rock star. She's an older black lady running against Marco Rubio. You've never heard of her. They'll try to make her a rock star. They can't do it to Charlie Chris. Nobody likes him. Who do you, who do you turn into a rock star? They don't have anybody on the Democratic side. They'll never do it on the Republican side. It's just one of the fascinating dynamics of a lack of a Democratic bench right now that they haven't faced in a very long time. All they got is Abrams. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. To the phones we go. David, you are going to be up first. Welcome to the program. David, how are you? Fine. Eric, how are you doing? Great. Just a quick uh, comment, a question, then I'll hang up and listen. What is wrong with Donald Trump? <laughs> I, I, I'm a Trump but I have to wonder what's going on with this man. And when he made the comment in Perry about Stacey Abrams being uh, a better governor, potentially, than Brian Kemp, I about fell off my chair. And I'm wondering, does he not know the threat this woman would pose to our state, or does he even care? Well, and uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I, 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 I think to your point, David, he doesn't care. He's he's out for vengeance. He 
believes that someone told him, and I'm sure it was like uh, Lynn Wood or, or Sidney Powell, that Brian Kemp could do something about the election. Uh, there was nothing he could do about the election. He's constitutionally prohibited. Uh, F- Trump is now a Florida resident, and, and in Florida, uh, the the governor has control over elections. The Georgia Constitution prohibits the governor from doing that. So there's really nothing Kemp could do, but he needed a fall guy. Um, so he believes the election was stolen, and he wants to blame Brian Kemp for not doing enough to stop the steal, so to speak. And he doesn't care about Georgia per se. He cares about beating Brian Kemp. And a lot of Trump supporters are, in fact, Trump supporters. They're not actually uh, Republicans. They're not. They don't care. They only care about Donald Trump. And Trump said, "Go after Brian Kemp." So they don't care if Stacey Abrams wins. And that's something I think the Republicans need to understand: is they don't care. These Trump supporters. They are a small number, but they are very vocal. They don't care if Brian Kemp loses and Stacey Abrams wins. What they care about is avenging Donald Trump's loss in Georgia, which they believe was stolen despite a lack of evidence, and they're going to pursue this to the bitter end. They're trying to find, for example, I've been told um, David Perdue, the former senator, is making phone calls to people who supported Casey Cagle against Brian Kemp trying to get them on board. I don't know whether he will get in or not. Uh, Abrams, I think, thinks that David Perdue is getting in, and she's banking on the fact that uh, Kemp, who will probably win a primary regardless, will be so wounded and hemorrhaging money to get through the primary that she'll be able to beat him. And Trump along the way will come in and campaign for whoever it is runs against Kemp, knowing that that person will get a sizable portion of the Republican vote in a primary. And if he doesn't win and Kemp gets the nomination, but then Kemp loses to Abrams, Donald Trump can say, well, see, you should have gone with my guy. It's all about nursing grudges. It's not actually about what's good for the state or even good for the Republican Party. It's Donald Trump settling scores. As long as you understand it that way, whether you like it or not, you, at least you know what you're getting. Um, score settling. You're not. You're not getting. Well, we we got to go on and do this, even though I don't like it, because it's for the good of stopping Stacey Abrams. That's not even a part of the equation. And there are a lot of people who blame Brian Kemp. Now, for those of you who don't live in Georgia, that you you got to understand this. There literally is nothing that Brian Kemp could have done about the election. There, there's nothing. Now, he could have he could have called a special session of the legislature, which is their ultimate fallback, the people who say he could have done something. He could have called a special session of the legislature to change the rules before the runoff. The problem is that there is really well-settled Georgia and Supreme Court precedent that if you do that, the rules don't go into effect until after the runoff. So even then— it would have done no good other than waste taxpayer money to change the rules because the rules would have been held up by a court until after the election. I mean, the rules now, I mean, they, they've gone into effect here in Georgia, and it's made it harder to cheat. It's made it fine to, to be able to get an election, to, to do the election. There was not any major disruption under the new election law on Tuesday in Atlanta or even in the general election back at the beginning of November. But yet, People are convinced that the law suppressed the vote, even though it didn't. And now Trump supporters, who were first fine with the new law, Donald Trump has come out and said the new law didn't go far enough, and so now they're not fine with it anyway. Everybody wants a grievance these days, y'all. 
everybody wants a grievance. That's part of what we're dealing with here is a grievance society where everyone wants to be the victim. Everyone wants to believe what they want to believe. You can't tell them otherwise, and they all presume they know more than you, and you just need to leave them alone and let them grieve. If they win, they win. If they don't, they don't. If they don't, they're not going to show up, and Kim's going to have to find a way to, to mobilize people to go out against Abrams. But it's not just Republicans or Trump supporters. I mean, look at the Democratic Party and their whole effort to delegitimize everything they don't like. Sonia Sotomayor on the Supreme Court yesterday in the Dobbs case said something that I think is very notable. And I want you to listen to this. This is uh, It's rare that you hear this. This is actual audio from the U.S. Supreme Court's oral arguments on Dobbs versus Jackson's women's health. Ability line discounts and disregards state interests, and the undue burden t- standard has all, all of the problems. That How is emphasize. your interest anything but a religious view? Um, the issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. Um, so when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect a life, that's a religious view, isn't it? Because it assumes that a fetus is life at when? You're not drawing your... When do you suggest we begin that life? Your Honor, I, I, aside from... I'm putting it aside from religion putting it aside from religion. You, you see what she's trying to do here? She's trying to delegitimize the arguments over abortion as just only religious people care about it. She pursued that argument. Only religious people care about it. And then she went on to say, how could the Supreme Court survive reversing Roe versus Wade? It would look so political. This is what Democrats are doing now across the nation because they're not getting their way. Now, why are Democrats not getting their way nationwide? There's this thing called a voter. You may have heard of them. You may be a voter. And voters are going and they're voting against a lot of the progressive agenda. When they elect Democrats, they're rejecting progressive Democrats. When they have a choice between a Democrat and a Republican, many times now they're voting Republican. So what the Democrats are having to do is delegitimize the system and make the system political in ways they've never done before. Now, how does this work? Well, let's take the Supreme Court. Sonia Sotomayor is a a great example of this. According to Sotomayor, if the Supreme Court reverses Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court will never recover because it will have been so political to reverse Roe versus Wade. I mean, you actually had the Solicitor General of the United States, Joe Biden's top lawyer for the Supreme Court, defending Plessy versus Ferguson, the separate but equal case, arguing essentially that the Supreme Court should not have even overturned Plessy, the separate but equal case, except over time, it took 50 years to do. And and it was it would have been bad if they had overturned separate but equal sooner than that because the court shouldn't be flipping back and forth. It was stunning to hear a defense of Plessy versus Ferguson. And now you've got... Sotomayor saying the Supreme Court would be super political if it overturned Roe. But you've got more than that as well. What you have is a concerted effort by the left to go after any institution 
that stops them from getting their way. So, for example, the delegitimization of the Senate, because the Senate does not represent everybody equally. You've got two senators for each state. Some states have small populations. How is that democratic? Well, the answer is that uh, the states are not administrative agencies of Washington, D.C. The states have a lot of power. The states are semi-sovereign. They only gave up a limited amount of power. The police power, the education power, the health care power, they all stayed with the states. And the left doesn't care about the history of it. They, they, they don't care about that. They've got to delegitimize the Senate because the Senate stands in the way of enacting what the Democrats want. So then they've got to uh, they, they've got to politicize the filibuster and delegitimize the filibuster. So how many of you believe the filibuster was a product of racism? This is what Barack Obama said. The filibuster was a tool of racism to stop the advancement of black people in the United States. Do you know what the first filibuster was over? It was in the 1820s. Do, do you know what the filibuster was over? the very first filibuster in the United States Senate in the 1820s. Do you have any idea what it was about? It was about a portion of the Senate not wanting to get a new publisher of the Senate record. So they filibustered. had nothing to do with race. The filibuster was not a product of race. And if you believe it, you're believing a false history that is designed to delegitimize the filibuster and thereby delegitimize the Senate. The states themselves have to be delegitimized. Why should Wyoming have as much clout in the Senate as California? Why should Wyoming get a say? Wyoming should hand over its electoral college votes to California based on who California wants. The popular vote should win the election. And that leads to the electoral college, which also must be delegitimized. And now they're turning on the Supreme Court over Roe versus Wade. Every time the Democrats don't get their way, they claim there was fraud in the election or voter suppression, the election was illegitimate, and the media, which leans left, buys it hook, line, and sinker. And the media and the Democrats together delegitimize the institutions that stand in the way of the Democratic agenda. Right now, that's the Senate and the filibuster. That's the Electoral College. That's the states. They've all got to be delegitimized. And Sonia Sotomayor... Is, is hinting in the Supreme Court that um, she would politicize it and allow others to politicize it if the Supreme Court got rid of Roe versus Wade, a right to abortion of which does not exist anywhere in the United States Constitution. That's just a matter of fact. It's a statement of fact. You can't read the Constitution and find an abortion right in the Constitution. You can read the Constitution and find a right to keep and bear arms. You can't find the right to abortion there. But because the left wants it, the left will delegitimize the institution if they don't get their way. In the very same way, Donald Trump didn't get his way, and Donald Trump wants to delegitimize Brian Kemp and the election in Georgia. And that's unfortunate because it will have long-lasting consequences. Now, to the phones we go. Uh, Mark, I'm going to go to you next on the program. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you? Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. I uh, wanted to bring the idea of paper ballots back instead of the idea of electronic 
because of the mass fraud, if you will. Either way, whether it happened or not, regardless, uh, for them to be on electronic means you have the, you know, ballots at your hand for anybody, whether it's left, right, or the same bird, you know. So uh, uh, also, uh, I'd like to go ahead. you know point out that, yes, sir. Go ahead. Uh, I'd like to point out that, uh, you know, with this uh, republic that we actually have, we should put more laws and restrictions on the federal government to back them off of the states and actually stand up as a state and say, no, we're not going to accept you as what you're doing to us. We are sovereign. Yeah, I wish there I wish there was even a bigger Tenth Amendment fight among the states, and I, I think there's ground there now with some of the circuit judges that Trump put in place to be able to do that. But you know, on the paper ballot issue, what, what, I, I I I don't mean to laugh at, at that issue because I know a lot of people take it seriously. I just I was around in Georgia and was actually a uh, legal intern for the Secretary of State's office when they transitioned to electronic balloting. And what I thought was so funny is that in the transition to electronic balloting, it was Democrats who were screaming that we need paper ballots uh, and that the Republicans, if we went to electronic balloting, would start stealing the vote in Georgia. And now we've come full circle. And now it's the Republicans say we need paper ballots and, and no electronic ballots. The problem with paper ballots is that you can also uh, stuff, you can print up a bunch of extra ballots. I mean, this is the argument here in Georgia right now that the Trump campaign is using, is they argue that someone filled out a bunch of excess paper ballots for absentee ballots and stuffed them into into the ballot box, maybe threw, threw some away and put in new ones. So paper ballots have their own problems when it comes to voter security. And if anything, the electronic voting that Georgia has now, where they actually print up a paper receipt of who you voted for, that actually probably is the best system. So if there's an audit, you can use the paper. But otherwise, you just use the electronic vote, and it speeds up the process of actually counting the ballots. It speeds up the process of getting you the election result. But there's a paper ballot that's stored in a secure location uh, on which the electronic voting is is based. And if there is a problem, then you can count those paper ballots. So you've got it in, in two different ways, electronic and paper the way it turns out, that's probably what we've got is the ideal solution. Now, what is the ideal solution for you at Christmas time when you're thinking of buying gifts for people? How about getting them the thunderstorm, the air purifier from Eden Pure? You can get a three-pack right now from EdenPureDeals.com. If you click on my name, Eric Erickson, and add the thunderstorm to your cart, at checkout, you use the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K, and the number three, no space, ERIC3. You will get $200 off a three-pack of the Eden Pure Thunderstorms. So if for your house, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for your RV or your basement, wherever you need it to get rid of the musty odors, to get rid of the pet odors, to get rid of the tobacco odors, to get rid of the bacteria, the mildew, the pollen that's floating in the air. Or you can give each of them to a friend. So you give three different friends one air purifier. Regardless, you will save $200 and you'll get three of them for less than $200 and you will get free shipping by going to EdenPureDeals.com. You click on my name, Eric Erickson, at checkout. You put in Eric3. Go to EdenPureDeals.com today. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I am going to go to Susan. Welcome to the program. Susan, how are you? Great. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I wanted to answer the gentleman who called in and said, what's, what's wrong with Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. I can tell you. He's a narcissist. Um, narcissists always play the victim. They never take responsibility for the problems they cause. They tend to shoot themselves in the foot 
they're tremendous grudge holders, um, and they they like control and attention. They feed on that. And um, well, Susan, you know, you're going to give me a lot of hate mail today. Those- <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to agree with me? <laughs> well, look, I think that Donald Trump is nursing a lot of grudges, and I think he is oh, yeah. very much about his his image and brand. I know a lot of people who would call yep. him a narcissist, uh, given those things. Yep. Uh, what I do think is he is way more focused on the lay of the land in 2022 and selling sco- settling scores before he even decides on doing something, for example, for 2024. Um, I, I do think right. that uh, in that regard, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, is probably not going to win all of the races that he wants to win in 2022. And we'll see what that does for him on deciding 2024. Like, he could probably beat Liz Cheney in Wyoming. I don't know that he can beat Brian Kemp here in Georgia. Kemp's got a leg up. And frankly, one of the things that hurt Kemp in 2018 in the suburbs was the perception that he was too close to Donald Trump. If anything, having Donald Trump come after him may actually help him in suburban Georgia, where the suburban voters voted for Joe Biden and then voted Purdue and Leffler. They they didn't particularly care for Trump. And I think he's got to think about that. Uh, and that would probably be the biggest defeat of his. But then there's a Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State in Georgia, that he wants to beat. Uh, maybe he can get Jody Heiss across the finish line there. It's it's going to – or Herschel Walker as well. He wants to get him elected. It, it's going to be interesting to watch the Trump endorsements and non-endorsements and the ones he actively campaigns against and how they do in 2022. That will certainly set up the landscape for him. But we got to move on to other things when we come back. Uh, the president and his new restrictions on COVID. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 